Shoppermaniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. Today is a Tuesday hard stop edition, and I'm Dave, and with me is Chris. Hey, Chris, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, really. Just Give a, a little behind the scenes, right? A little, hey, guess what? This is a Tuesday hard stop. We both have to go pick up kids. <laughs> <laughs> that's we care right. about you, and that's why we're recording it on a Tuesday. So. Yeah, what you don't know is Dave isn't just having a jokey title about hard stops. We are, It usually means we really do have a hard stop. <laughs> <laughs> really, like a meeting with a lawyer or a child is waiting on my presence. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Absolutely. You ever forget to pick up your kid? Have you crossed that boundary uh, yet? Like almost yesterday? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was I... Was, <laughs> Did my kids like start walking home from school? <laughs> yeah, they did. But it was, it was, can I tell you about my brain? Here's what I'm learning about my brain. I read a book on, uh, I read a book on like productivity for, by a guy with ADHD this month. And um, mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting because I, I think I'm learning, like I have a little bit of it. Like I can, undiagnosed, I can maybe medicate with caffeine is the situation I'm in. This guy is a bit uh, Peter Shankman, faster than normal is the book. Um, but uh, it, his is a little more on the like extreme obsessive compulsive angle of it, of the the thing that I don't super identify with. But it was um, it, it was a good read nonetheless. But um, what I'm realizing about my brain is five minutes before a meeting is the worst time for me because. If I have to do something in five minutes, my brain says, you got time to do something. And then, so I start doing it and then I look up and what, like today it's five minutes late now, whoops, now I got to hustle to school or show up to the meeting late. And like, so there's a danger zone, like five or 10 minutes before a meeting or something I have to do where I just, I don't know, I shouldn't, my brain just You should do jumping jacks or review the meeting notes, but no. Right. No, no. I'm like... Let me just cut a branch. Let's let's see. You know, like it's just It's usually blogging st- that gets me like, oh, that's a little side task. Let me just write down some words. And then my brain goes into like a special time ignoring mode mm-hmm. where the words yeah. are flowing and, and you're like, oh cripes. Interesting. That's a good one. The the five minute meeting theorem. Oh my god. It's if if I yeah, if, if five or ten minutes, like the other day, I just was like, I know myself. If I start doing something, I'm going to do it. And so I just like started pacing around my house for like ten minutes because I just was like, I just this I don't want to like get behind. So anyway, it's just a it's like a dead zone for me. Like if I pick up any sort of task five minutes, ten minutes before a meeting, I am late for the meeting. It's just the worst. So it's just how my life goes. So. I'm learning about unique brain chemistries. They are all fascinating. Everyone's is unique. It's wonderful. Mine's perfect. That's all I know. That's great. Everything. That's good. I'm good at everything. Just yeah. like your code and yeah. it's all perfect. I, I you have a few good tweet storms about uh, <laughs> your perfect code and I occasionally Twitter surfaces those to me in there. Always a joy. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I like. There is just so many braggadocious MRFers on Twitter that it's just easy to get in that mode once in a while. You're like, oh, I forgot to tell you how great I am lately. <laughs> it's hey, time to do it. Take a knee, kids. Uh, <laughs> gonna tell you about how rad I am at programming. 
So <laughs> I, I tuned into this one guy's stream. It, it, it was like, I can't even remember who it is. Cause I like blocked him not only from like Twitch, Twitter and my, but also my brain. But he <laughs> just was like, I make so much money. I'm like, Duh. and I just was like, delete. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Good for you, buddy. I don't Deleted. think we'll hang out. Yeah. You know, he's got a question about programming. Hey. Muhammad Tala. Tal Talha. And he was he's he's curious specifically about a kind of programming called functional programming. Mm. He's wondering how far down the functional programming rabbit hole should we go with JavaScript slash TypeScript? After going into it, it's a super deep hole. There's good old pure functions and immutability, but then you know, that's what I that's where I stop personally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then yeah. there's semi-groups, monoids, functors, monads. I'm very slowly starting to grasp the concepts, but still feel lost in functional programming conversations. I never know what 90% of the words even mean. I get the thinking though. Is it even practical to do all this stuff in JavaScript slash TypeScript when the language is not 100% functional? I feel like I'm starting yeah, I'm using this stuff. I lose the ability to work with a lot of developers as they're mostly foreign concepts. So even if you did go deep, now you're not lost anymore, but you've lost everybody else that works with you. <laughs> I could see that yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, man, I don't know. I... I pay not much attention to it. I mean, it, it sort of is like this theoretical perfect form of programming, I, you know, and that's is where that I'm what just, it is. I don't even know that. I just, I don't, it's just the vibe you get from people, you know, it's like functions mm. are better than any, you know, and I think it's just the, like immutable. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of state, right. Factors in, right. Like stateless, uh, sort of stuff. Um, uh, um, so is it like is it, if somebody was uh, some guru of functional program we could roll into your code base would they be like dave you see here where this function that you've wrote on line 76 is depending on you know an, something on the window and that makes it an external oddity and you should never do that you should pass that parameter in and by passing that parameter in now now this function has become pure and it will only output what you've input into it one-to-one -one perfectly and you're welcome. I'm a functional programming genius and your life is better for it now. Yeah. I mean, like that's like good. <laughs> I Okay. It's good. Like you are a, you, you, a pure function returns the same answer given data, right? Is that kind of the idea? That's the our agreed upon. I think that's one. We we even biffed the name on of it a few shows back, but yeah, yeah, I get I get the point, and and I think sometimes React people get into that, right? Because because your component tree is functions, so your component tree often is a pure function and is encouraged to be mm -hmm. or whatever, and that's like that's like your toe dip into the water of all this, and then you're like, I'm gonna write all my functions that way. Because yeah. my framework is good that way, and then it got it got extra hairy there for a little while because Redux was super into it, right? Like they encouraged the use of immutableness with mm -hmm. Redux too, and then and then everybody got 
really into it for a minute, but I haven't, I don't know, I haven't, uh, haven't heard about it too much lately. I'm sure there's plenty of functional programming heads still around. But yeah, ask me what a monoid or a monad is, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to step away slowly and and run away. But that doesn't, I'm not encouraging you to be like me. Maybe you should get into this stuff. And in fact, I'd say, Mohammed, if you're really attracted to the idea of all this, if your brain is like, man, this stuff is so cool. I really like it. This this is a, interesting to me in a way that is making my brain tingle. Then my advice is chase that tingle, man. Like learn it. It doesn't make my brain tingle. It makes me confused it makes me like, whatever, if I'm, I immediately start looking for the tangible benefit. I'm like, if I'm going to learn this, what am I going to get out of it if, <laughs> if I learn this? And if you can convince me of that, then I'll join you down the rabbit hole. But I'm not, you know, reading computer science papers on this stuff just because I want to know it. So that, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think, you know, you're asking a good question. Uh, I, I think like if you like it, you should do it and you should write the blog post called uh functional programming for uh for Dave and Chris or for like <laughs> yeah people who uh don't care about functional programming. I mean like that's a great title. Boom, clickbait, boom, you're on hacking. Yeah, that is baby. pretty good. Um yeah, doesn't he? He wouldn't even have to be very good with that title. You could no, you'd like cr- you could just <laughs> a video of you passing gas on there. That would be it. Um Somebody but, should just put that right into GD, GTP3 and just publish what it says. Just straight out. Just go. Yeah. Go. Just, yeah. I'm going to try um, it real quick. Yeah, go on. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> let's just see what we got. Let's just do, we'll do a little audio reading here on the uh, shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why uh, not? Um, but I, I just think, like, you're interested. So, like, get, grasp it. And and break it down and provide some examples of how it looks specifically in JavaScript. I mean, like, like I've like learned Haskell, I've and and Scheme and stuff like that, and and that is all functional. But to be honest, I like don't care. Like I, I I'm on <laughs> the I don't care. Like you ask me what programming is, it's moving the header from one page to the next page. It's moving. <laughs> Moving buttons from the header to the footer—that's that's what programming is to me um, uh, in a lot of situations. And I don't know how monads uh, affect my my workflow in that situation. Um, that said, I do like the idea of like um, like of pure functions. Here's where I am currently having trouble with it. Um, you know, if you take the idea of UI as a function of state, that that idea, right? I agree, yes, but it's often like multiple states. Like it's the uh, browser state, it's the device state, it's the uh, it's the um, what a Redux or, or local component state. It's the global application state. It's it's all kinds of. It's the you know are they is it nighttime in their area state? You know, so there's all these different states. Uh, is what I want to say. And that to me makes programming or, or makes UI work a yeah. smidge different than like computer science theoretical correctness. Does that make sense to you, Chris? Am I? Yes, it does. Like it does. Our, our work is, is less like add two numbers and it's more like make a pizza, you know? And it's like, how do I make a pizza? What do you mean? Like, oh, there's, 
70 different things that can happen in the course of this pizza's 12 minute bake time or, you know, preparation and bake time. Like that's where I kind of am, am a little bit like I, this stuff doesn't benefit me on a day to day basis. You know, I'm staring at what, 15 years of making websites and stuff like that. And like the times I've needed to know about mon ads is like one. So there you go. That's how well, I feel. The results are in, Dave. Let's let's have a dramatic reading. Just, Can we get like some uh, masterpiece theater music, Chris ends? Here we go. Mm-hmm. Functional programming for people who don't care about functional programming. You've probably heard of functional programming and may even have heard that it's a powerful tool for solving certain types of problems. But what is it, really, and why should you care? In a nutshell, functional programming is a programming paradigm that emphasizes the evaluation of functions rather than the execution of commands. That may not sound like much, but it can make a big difference in the way you approach problem solving. Functional programming is all about breaking down a problem into small, self-contained pieces that can be easily combined to produce a solution. This, in contrast to the more traditional approach of writing a program as a series of commands to be executed in sequence. Functional programming has a number of advantages. First, it can make more modular and easier to understand. Second, it can make it easier to parallelize code, which can lead to better performance. Finally, it can make it easier to reason about code, which can lead to more reliable code. So why should you care about functional programming? Because it can make your life as a programmer easier and more enjoyable. And that's reason enough. Damn, I'm convinced, robot. That was excellent. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That was just a generated blog post. You could just copy and paste that, chuck it on Medium, put an unsplasher at yeah, the top, that's and you'll get 200 clapper. claps. Golly, that's a 200 that, clapper. Like, sort of did it better than <laughs> I ever could have. That, that was amazing. Um, I mean, when you put it that way, robot, computer, uh, I, I do like, like functional programming. I mean, breaking up your <laughs> you know, stuff into like – Smaller functions that single yeah, use. Smaller I, functions, I guess, like I 100 yeah. agree, and that's what I try to do. I just am not like I don't put on my computer science academy letterman's jacket <laughs> and sweater vest or you know pocket protector and like uh, make a big deal out of it. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, I can't tell. I still can't tell you what a funk tour is. Um, all right, so that was good, Mohammed. Good job. Keep going. Uh-huh. Keep going. Do you have any uh, hot topics? Um, hot topics. Well, um, there is Dave, oh, I feel not like really. There's something going around. I need to check the Discord. No, there was like higher than normal tailwind drama. Don't care. I have one that 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 I, I wonder. I kind of want to. Maybe I want to float this out Twitter to see if it if if anything comes of it. I won't dwell on it. But 2019, Richard Young. I don't I have no idea who Richard is. Never met him worked at IBM research, published an article, and then a repo from at the IBM level called Browser Functions, which I feel like is back then I felt, oh, this is interesting. And now I feel like it's almost starting to come true. So what's the runtime for a serverless or yeah, cloud function Dino usually? In as well. Node, yeah. sometimes Dino, Bun, 
powered by Zig, maybe. You can also, you know, Vercel surely helps you if you want to write one in THP or whatever. I'm sure you could. Uh, you know, even Netlify offers Go, mm-hmm. but they tend to be they're back endy, right? They they're just back end kind of languages, which makes sense because they're running and there's no screen or anything. There's no user where those things are executing. But the idea of browser functions is like, what if that runtime was exactly okay. a browser? Like kind of like n- not just oh, puppeteer, but like all of all of it. <laughs> you know, I guess that's kind of what puppeteer is. Um, so, like, let's say you needed a UUID. You wouldn't you wouldn't pull the UUID library from npm. You would just uh, you would just ask for window.crypto yeah. because it's built into browsers. So you'd have that. Let's say you wanted to blur an image. You wouldn't install Sharp or whatever in the cloud function and blur it. You'd draw it to CSS a canvas and or or not even you just display it as an IMG tag. CSS blur it. Okay. Pull the screenshot off of the image. You know. Wow. Let's say you want to run all your tests, your NDN tests that are designed to run in browsers. Well, you can now. That's just no-brainer because you have the entire browser sitting there in the cloud function. Kind of neat, I think. You know, you could use you could use local storage and cookies for session stuff. You know, I'm just wondering if Richard is going to be right in his 2019 article about browser functions. Is that going to be one of the offered... <laughs> You know, cloud runtimes. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wonder. By the big players, I'd be curious. That's kind of interesting to think about. I hadn't thought about like because we kind of have it right. Like Node is basically they rip V8 out of Chrome, and we're like, hey, look, <laughs> we got this to run on as a server. You know, and Dino is sort of a riff on that, where it's like it is, and and like Cloudflare workers aren't either of them. They're just they V8, ripped V8, yep. V8, or is that? Did you already say this? They just ripped V8 out of a browser and said that's the runtime. I like this idea of like, oh, you <laughs> like. I'm looking at like the this article now, and he's like talking about WebRTC and stuff. Like, I don't need to like set up a WebRTC server. I just set up a server that has a browser <laughs> in it that has WebRTC. So it's like, that's a browser-to-browser communication, yeah. not even a browser-to-server-to-browser communication. That's weird. Interesting. I'm interested. I don't know. I I know how to script a browser, so I think it's cool. Uh, I do a lot of puppeteer stuff, so I think, like, I think the future's already there. I mean, like, we use puppeteer to, like, make screenshots, you know, crawl pages, get page titles, you know? Like, I mean... I don't know, man. It seems like it's possible, right? So it seems like uh, it, it's something you would want to do. But I don't know. The The overhead of a whole browser is pretty huge. Yeah. That, that's that's maybe like my... Yeah, well, that, that's why it would be Google or something. They, w- they would do it, <laughs> you know, just to... Because they have, they have, what do you call it? You know, Google Cloud or whatever. With their, who are always fighting for the, you know... Like 1% of that market is like $100 billion or something. I mean, that's, don't quote me on that, but the, I'm always yeah. shocked at what how big the numbers are for, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. for providers. Well, you know? I'd be curious what the limits of it are too, you know, just like. Yeah. Because some browser stuff, you need permissions too, right? Like the permissions model is pretty Yeah, different, a lot of it wouldn't know? matter. Yeah. It's not like you can capture a webcam in a cloud function or anything. Um, like, what if you could? And then I'm like staring at the server room. <laughs> Boom. 
Sure. You know? Or you, it's giving me the GPS coordinates of, of where that server room is. See? That's weird. No one thinks about that. Yeah. Now, we're, now we're thinking. Think about so. that, buddy. <laughs> Brian Reich writes in. He wants to know about, uh, do we just accept EdPM dependency hell as the price of doing business? We've talked about this before on the show. But it's like, is, is you know, Brian's like, is it just me? Or is modern web development just a squirrely pile of JavaScript dependencies? None of us really understand, you know, what's going on. And everything it, everything breaks if you fart in the wrong direction. Or <laughs> Do yep. we just uh, accept it as the cost of doing business? He goes on to say, you know, he has this this kind of like all projects start out all clean and then, you know, get worse and worse and worse. And by the end of it, you're, you're handing it off to somebody being like, oh, good luck with this weird glass house. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and you know what I've been thinking about lately um, is um, – like how entropy, the entropy of the universe is like against you, you know, uh, have you ever watched those like the world after the atomic nuclear war, you know, and it's like the grass is reclaiming the highways and the buildings, you know, <laughs> this building, the Sears Tower would only be alive for eight weeks or something, you know, it's just like before it's like overground. Anyway, um, and because there's a little building near uh, my house in Austin, Texas, that's like completely overgrown and being eaten, swallowed by vines. And I was like, you know, my wife pointed it out the other day. She was like, that's like one of those shows. Um, I, I wonder if this happens with computers. And I know it's impossible because I know it's like saved to ones and zeros on the disk. But I'll be, man, if you don't like... I feel like a website, just like a lawn, which my lawn guys are about to show up, so that's great timing, uh, is like a constant battle against the entropy that it's just going to fall apart. You know? Like, it just seems like we're constantly at war with the tech. And and even if you set something up today, in three weeks, something's going to break down, even if you didn't touch it. That's how I feel about it, Right. And I feel like NPM being kind of a house of cards plays a part in it. And like, you know, so, but it's hard to like, it's hard to point fingers and blame them. But um, yeah. Like, what is it? Why, why does the gulp task not work? Like, why does it stop working? You know what I mean? Like we were having this funny conversation about the other day at Ben JS here in town about the same kind of frickle thing. And it was, it was like, why was X broken? And in this case, it was, I don't know, somebody was like defending of it. But then I was like, do you realize that just today you asked me why this thing was broken? I, mean, I don't think that's how it went down. But it was, a, it was just, it was, I think it was like a Create React app, you know, from three uh -huh. years ago. And just nobody had spun yeah. it up in three years. And no, nobody touched it. It worked just fine before. And now everybody's machine who pulled it, it was dead. You just couldn't run it. What? And it, how? Well, in this case, it was... Um, it was SAS. The project assumed SAS, and Node SAS has C bindings, and the C bindings wanted Python. And I think everybody, I think at the time, three years ago, everybody's MacBooks had like the right Python on it. And in those three years, you know, OS X shipped with a different, or Mac OS shipped with a, like a different Python or something. It's not like you couldn't get it to go. It just was like, it didn't just go. 
Node's task mm. was killing it because of all the internal binding crap. And that's just a guess. I don't even know. All I did was yeah. I pulled out Node's task and put in Dart's task, and it ran fine for everybody. It was like a five-minute fix. But it was just an example of this, like, whoop, that's the way it is. Yeah. Another story. You want one? <laughs> Give me, yeah. Tell me. Tell Here, me yeah. This happened at work. I tried to get somebody at CodePen to podcast it with me, and people are like, no. Only because they they were just so <laughs> turned off by having to do this work at all. The work was yeah. we wanted to upgrade a node dependency of a thing. And we have a bunch of, you know, carrots in our package.json, which is like upgrade even minor versions Oh, you know, but we don't do it all the time. It's not like there's a calendar appointment to, to go, you know, npm update all or whatever it is, you know. So a good number of them were a little out of date, and the person updating this particular dependency just decided to do them all, kind of thing, which is fine, right? So, but then the PR becomes like it's not just updating this one dependency. It ended up like a dr pretty dramatic change to the lock file and all that. It was like a lot of dependencies are breaking. So we stopped for a minute and they wrote up this little thing that was like, you know, coding philosophy question. Let's all talk about this as a group before this PR goes in. This PR has nothing to do with these, you know, 15, say, other dependency upgrades in this lock file. So like, if I put it in, Everything will probably be okay, but maybe not, you know? I don't know what 15 dependency changes is going to do to our final output. Usually it's fine, but, like, if it's not fine, it was me who broke them. And, like, I don't know. And, uh, yes, we have tests, but, like, maybe probably not 100% test coverage on who knows what all these things are going to. So it was the same question here as Brian is asking. Is just this the cost of doing business? Yeah, no, I think it unfortunately is. I it mean, just is. Yeah, that's what we came to the, the conclusion. I mean, of. we're we're offloading so much code and so much time and effort. You know, um, just you know, the story you know, goes I, on. You ready? Just to just uh -oh. to just to oh boy. deeper. Well, just so you you know, you're reacting to the right thing. Is that so? We're like, okay, fine. You know, be around when it goes out. Have say three hours in front of you because it's your. You know, it's going to be your deploy, essentially. So, you know, sorry. It's on you once in a while. The, it wouldn't build, though. <laughs> the oh, no. film was dead. And it turned out to be, and I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to throw stones or whatever, but but it was it was related to Next.js. And at one point, Next.js, I think it was in their big 14 release, which feels recent-ish to me, but I'm sure it wasn't anymore, but it feels new to me still. Like, oh, it was a big release. They switched yeah. from Webpack by default to some other thing, SWC or some like Rust-based Webpack alternative, something, something that was supposed to make it really fast. And at first we're like, oh, we have some weird Webpack stuff. We're going to keep it. But then we did the work and we're like, no, if, if that's where Next is headed, let's do it. Let's be on the, their thing. You know, so we it's, mm -hmm. so our build of our Next.js parts of our app are not are using the new thing, not Webpack. And the new thing just so happens to be a little more bitchy and not buildy about circular dependencies. So in Webpack, Webpack was just like they just solved it somehow. It's probably one of those many things that as much as people like to bitch about Webpack, they had kind of solved it. And newer yeah. stuff hasn't solved it yet. So it's just like, I mean, 
I hesitate to just like get into the intricacies of what a circular dependency is, partially because of my own ignorance. But you, but you can kind of picture it: A imports B, B imports C, C imports A. Whoops! How yeah. does that get resolved? I don't know how, but what yeah. kind of just figures it out or something? Because I think th- th- the deal is usually there was some way out of that loop. It was just kind of your dumb. Yeah, I think they like stashed the version, like so they're like, okay. There's a conflict, so I have now I have a dot one and a dot two, you know, or whatever. Right. So there's so, but it is, so it wouldn't build because of it, right? So then we're like, you know what? Yeah. Instead of instead of sweeping this under the rug somehow, we'll just do the computer programming necessary to un circular dependency every single circular dependency in our in our Shoot. app and it yeah. was you know three four days worth of work in the end which just kind of sucks but it was the way it is we ended up using some cool open source mar mar something i, I can't i'll look it up if i can find it if, if anybody cares but it was just a circular dependency checker now it's part of our commit hook that it checks you know in our in our little you know, functions that run on PRs and stuff to make sure there's no mm-hmm. circular dependencies in your app, you know. But that was also really? the cost of doing business was we uploaded, a, we you know, updated a bunch of NPM dependencies, don't totally know what the fallout is, don't totally know what the security implications are, and broke stuff, and had to figure, you know, it was just like, God, it's a lot in it. That's just what the cost is high sometimes. There's so many things. And I do think if I could add one criticism and not to throw certain one line package authors under the bus, I, I think we over relied on again, kind of this sort of is tied to the functional programming <laughs> question, but there's a lot of functions like left pad or whatever that were just like one use function. Lodash is a collection of functions, right? Like, um, I, I think like when npm came out, we over optimized on this. This I'm just going to ship one line code all the time, you know, one one line and. So now you have a lot of dependencies by default, which is not where you want to be from a security standpoint. Lots of dependencies. That's lots of things to check. Uh, now you are at, and, and I get like, semantically, that's a very thin line. Like, I mean, you'd have lots of things to check in one big file versus 100 small files. Yeah, yeah. But, but the fixes all come together and you don't end up with cross let you end up with less cross dependency, you know, like uh, I guess lockups, you know. So I don't know. I, I guess I'm I'm with you, Brian. Like it's there's just too much stuff, and it's hard. It becomes I think there is a maintenance task, you know, and and I think we're all just kind of prioritizing short term gain over <laughs> uh, long term satisfaction. Does that make sense? Uh, like we're yes, there we're you go. saying. I'm getting a short gain by npm installing some fix, and the the turmoil is some fix may fall apart in six weeks because I don't know why. So my yard guys just showed up, so this may be <laughs> some kind of place where either you talk or we cut this out. 
This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Split, the feature management and experimentation platform. What if a release was exactly how it sounds? A moment of relief, an escape from slow, painful deployments that hold back product engineers, free for your teams and your features with Split. By attaching insightful data to feature flags, Split helps you quickly deploy, measure, and learn the impact of every feature you release, which means you can turn up what works, turn off what doesn't, and give software innovation the room to run wild. Now you can deliver features up to 50 times faster and exhale. (laughs) Split feature management and experimentation. What a release. Reimagine software delivery. Start your free trial and create your first feature flag at split.io slash codepen. All right, I'll move on for a little bit here. I'll avoid the one where I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions just for a moment here. And, and read one instead from Brian Street, who says, a couple episodes back, um, ch- chapter four. That's cool. That's a uh, thanks, Chris Eds, for chunking our shows into chapters to show on people's podcasting listeners of choice. Chapter four was advice to help match designs. I remember talking about that. Uh, uh, and we, and we kind of said like, yeah, it doesn't, you know, matching designs is different than, than perfection, I think. Anyway, Brian's reaction was maybe my reaction was that I thought we accepted that pixel perfect design is a, is a kind of a deprecated approach. So many design tools don't allow, uh, uh you to specify all the breakpoints, states, et cetera. Do I have the wrong impression? My experience is that receiving designs, even in Figma that don't actually follow a design system, each page has kind of accidental and intentional snowflakes that frustrate me. What has been your experience? What advice do you have for the design side and for the development side? So that kind of classic mismatch between what the design comps are and and what the output is. I remember thinking about this, and maybe I even tweeted about it, not that it matters what I tweeted and didn't, but that it was like, there was. there's lots of people that say, you don't have to be pixel perfect, that that is an antiquated concept. It never should have been a concept. Things don't have to look the same in every single browser and the little differences are fine. But that message shouldn't be conflated with don't even, don't even try to match the mocks. Just let it be fast and loose and sloppy. Those are not the same. You know, you should, you should there's still a spirit and a level of quality work that you should be striving for. I I thought I saw this question came in and I thought about it. Um, I think there is a difference between my developer cannot reproduce a design and my designer does not understand fluid stuff on the web. I, there's a difference there, right? Like the the locus of the problem is different. It's my developer literally can't replicate a design and then my designer does not understand fluid stuff, right? I, I, and I think you're right. Like the web is not like a static object, you know. But I, I think like if you just can't even ballpark it, like that's a problem, right? Like if you can't even come close, that's an issue. So yeah, right, right, right. Anyway, interesting. I don't, I don't think you're wrong, Brian. That you know, 
pixel perfect design is kind of an antiquated approach, but I, you know, it depends. We, we'd have to look at stuff together. You know, like if you get a, it, it kind of goes both ways. If you get some Figma comp that's just a huge mess too, it's like you having to even attempt to replicate that faithfully more like requires conversation. You know, you can be like, mm, you see what, how you did this and you totally ignored everything else that's happening on other pages. That's not great either. I do feel like it's antiquated. I, I do. But I, I think it's also just sort of like, do you know what you're doing? You know what I mean? Like, like, and, and then it, I think there is a challenge to like design tools. And Jason Grigsby's kind of been, been on this for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just like design tools are still static, you know, in Figma, you can't be like, this is one M rem V eight VW, you know? Um, and so some of the problem starts there, right? Like in, yeah. in expectations get built there and we need to break some of those expectations, you know? That's a very good point that what you might use as a unit in CSS later because it's the right answer is unavailable in design software. Well, you wrote about um, the patchability of the open web just the other week, huh? What was the story there? Yeah. I've been into anime, watching some animes in my downtime, you know, while I build some Gundams. Um, and I was thinking about the, like, I'm watching Crunchyroll, right? Yeah. And Crunchyroll has this problem, like, where it's either on or off. Like, it's either running a video, but if you, like, swipe up, it doesn't play in the background. And it doesn't, like, go to picture in picture. It it just, dis- it stops, right? And, um... I was just like, this sucks. <laughs> and, and I was thinking about the web, you know, and I'm kind of in, been in like a web versus native thing since the Figma acquisition, you know. Um, but I, I was just thinking about how on the web, I, that's a, not a problem because if they didn't code a picture in picture button, I don't really care. I can open up my console and type document query selector video request picture in picture. And I, all of a sudden, I have picture-in-picture picture on YouTube, which doesn't have that button. Yeah, even if your and, dev team didn't build that in. Yeah. Yeah. And I could probably do it in in this app we're using here, Riverside, which has your video and my video. I could probably request picture-in-picture picture and, like, yoink out one Plunk of these videos. Out. Yeah. You know, and not that, like, I really need to, but, you know, if we're, like, doing something, I I, I could see myself doing that. Um maybe if I was on a video call or something and I just needed to like, whatever, like do work on something at the same time. Anyway, I realized I just like underappreciate the, like just how we can do this on the web. Like I do video document query selector video or audio playback rate two all the time. Like I add two X controls to any audio I can find. Right. <laughs> like, right. And it's just, I don't know. But this that's is a your really... workflow. What about the many other people with different little things that they do? Imagine right. you, you know, accessibility, something that you got used to, used to jacking onto the web. You know, it does remind me of the conversation about mobile browsers when those, you know, the the, the entire platform is so like unhackable. Right. Right. No, and I mean that's sort of like a bit of a like, you know, you can't do it really. But you know, I. I I, I installed a bunch of extensions recently, like to block like Twitter trending topics and hmm. like 
And again, back to the ADHD stuff, it's just like that has been a massive productivity booster for me because now I don't, I'm not like elbows deep into British politics or Indian politics. I, I like am actually not even American politics. I'm just like able to use Twitter in the way that it was originally intended. You know, I'm not like sucked into these, you know, basically right. tar pits for my brain. Oh God, I'm you know, for normal people. Right now. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm always like, oh, God, I don't know, it's something, I don't even want to say one out loud because they're so horrible. Oh, who, wh- what celebrity, what celebrity name is this? Oh, okay, cool. Uh, Dolly Parton. Oh, great. Now I got, what's up with Dolly Parton? Oh, thank God she's not dead. Okay. Oh, she's just cool. Oh, here's a picture of her with Willie Nelson. Oh, okay. Here's, you know, it's just like, it's that over and over and over and over. And it's just such a attention, like horde that I don't need it. I, I you know, it's yeah, kind of like a, you're 0% better at the end of reading any of that, you know? No. And, and it's like, if it's like, I can opt into it. I can hack URL hack and get back to the explore tab if I need to, but like, you know, but I, I make it difficult to get there and that's good for me. So it's good. For yeah. My brain, you can still so. get there. It doesn't mean that you're turning your back on the news or whatever. That's what it wants you to think. Right. Cause I, I, I need lots of news breaks, but then I, all of a sudden I'll feel bad. I'll be like, yeah, but there's important stuff happening in the world and me burying my head in the sand. Isn't the way either, you know, but that doesn't mean you got to open the fire hose into your brain. You don't have to just, uh, Twitter's already an open fire hose. And I kind of like believe like, like I found out the queen died, you know, it, that wasn't hard to like suss out you know yeah. <laughs> like there's enough people talking about it it's big enough news you know like and so and then i've got my own rabbit holes of news i like follow obsessively like the ukraine war and stuff like that like I, i'm like i spend an hour a night at least tracking what's going on in ukraine so like my brain is fully occupied doing that i do not need to know about uh i don't i mean I can't even think of an example. What celebrity said what? I do not need to care about that. I do literally zero impact into my life. Yeah. So sorry, Pete um, Davidson. We don't care. Uh, not that he cares. But we super <laughs> broken up about your relationship with Kim Kardashian. I mean, it is just tearing me to pieces, bud. And I just, you know, but, but for the sake of my attention, anyway, I just, I think it's cool that the web is this, right? Like you can just basically like go through and say like. Hey, you know, like I don't like that. And and that's the design of the web is like it's built in, right? It's users over authors over implementers and and I, I just Yeah. What gets me is such it's a foundation kind of built in. It, it is built in because we have dev tools, but it's not built into, I don't know, like the APIs or anything. It just happens to be that browsers want you to be able to do that via those particular tools. Uh, and that doesn't seem to be going anywhere, but it, it it's attached to a history where it was more encouraged in the world of mm-hmm. CSS. Forever, we'd, we'd part of conversations would end up being about user style sheets, which I always used to kind of like, I don't know, be annoyed with because I'm like, wh- where? Who, who, who's running one of these things? Not that it's not used. It's just like, I don't see that function in browsers anymore. I think they're all dead at this point. I think none of the browsers allow a user style sheet anymore. They used to be extra interesting because they they had a special specificity layer. So the conversations about them surfaced a little bit when at layer was being talked about. But it's like, Mm -hmm. those are dead. You can't do that anymore, Uh, which is uh, 
it's not not in absolutely no way, because of course you could write your own browser extension or you could use an existing browser extension. Like the one that you have that's hiding Twitter trending topics, that's probably jack- yeah. jacking in a style sheet. That's kind of like a user style sheet. That's a patchable web thing. But it's, you know, through the graces of the browser extension marketplace existing, it's almost unfortunate. Yeah, like all extensions basically grift on the fact that you can add stuff to a page because you're the user. You know, you're the final say. That's your page. And so you can block ads. You can uh, clear out things on your website. You know, I think they even Firefox tried to kill Grease Monkey, I think at some point, but they like couldn't. And there was like just enough like backlash. It was just like, no, it's part of the web now. Right. So (laughs) that's funky. Yeah, but these browsers, they probably won't, but they could say, oh, no, you can't do that anymore. Like, we're, we're going to design a browser that doesn't allow the, the, the jacking in of things anymore. So I just think it's worth noting that this any patchability that ha- exists in browsers is th- because, because they say it's okay. They give us the APIs to do so. Right, and, and not to, like, I'm not, Android or iOS would, you know, I'm on iOS, so that's like my major gripe. But like, I just you can't do it on native, like I, unless I hack the binary, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, and so uh, I just so what I I guess what I got out of it was like the web is cool, like there's it's good, and, and like I think like people, you know, in all this, you know, web versus native, or you know. Um, even just the number of websites I visit, you know, habitually are probably mostly native apps like Twitter or whatever. I, I, anyway, it's just cool. There, there's a the fact that we have control on the web is a unique, cool, unique feature of the web that I, that I don't know that you can get on native platforms really, right. unless you code and get provisioned <laughs> to do that. I responded to it thinking that, that like, not only do I wish patchability was better, but, like, let's say there was, like, you know, a vote for what browsers should do, and the vote was up, you know, should should real true user-authored CSS come back? And in addition to that, how about user-authored JavaScript, too? That's what your post mostly focuses on JavaScript things that you would execute on a particular page. So what about user-authored JavaScript, too? That's kind of what you meant by Grease Monkey, I think. That was the point of Grease Monkey, right, is executing yeah, JavaScript yeah. On, on pages of your choice. And I said, that's what I would vote. I, I would bring those back. And uh, right away, Simon Williason, we talked about him in context of AI stuff lately, but he's a longtime web dude, been on the show, and says he wrote, I genuinely worry about how easy it would be for malicious people to convince naive users to add this script to get X, you know, penguin bucks or whatever, when the script yeah. actually just steals their password and cookies for every site they visit. So he's right that... <laughs> If you know, uneducated hacker hackability is 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 dangerous territory. So, despite I don't know, it's just no doubt that's why it's harder now than it used to be. Is for sure, security for sure. concerns? Yeah, because I mean, you know, I think it already exists. You know, it's like Facebook. I think in the console they have a message or something like, "Don't paste stuff you found on the internet in here." Because like people would be like, make Facebook faster by pasting this, you know, and it's like some eval script, you know. Yeah. 
even if it said right in the browser, do not paste stuff in here that you got from the internet, then, you know, the stuff on the internet would say, I know it says don't paste stuff in from the internet, but do you want penguin bucks or not? You know? Right. Uh, of course, <laughs> and then you're like, the, yeah. I want the damn penguin bucks, but <laughs> yeah. come on. I'll post that. Like, I want the penguin yeah, bucks. Yeah, you Beep. just can't. There's no... Either got to disallow it or not. Anyway, great article. It's a good. It's good. It's good to think about that. Those things are mostly positive for people, but tricky territory. Yeah, I mean, it's just. I, I think uh, you know, browser extensions are a pretty good example. I've written some some of my own. It's like I want a feature on this website, and they don't offer it. So here I go. Like I'm going to mod this website. You know, it's it's. There's cool things you can do. I don't know. Programming is also, I, this is also something I've been thinking about, but programming is a really neat little superpower. And I think somebody in the Discord, did the Discord was calling it like casting spells, you know? Um, it's just your your ability to sort of just be like, you know what? I want this website to do this. Every time I visit, I'm going to write a little extension. That's like, that's got to be voodoo to like, my dad or somebody, you know, my dad is like, you can just make a website behave differently. Like that's wild, you know? And I'm, yeah, that's like, I can do that in minutes. You know, that's, it's kind of cool. I would say that's really cool. So, or like how, how many stories have you heard where like somebody's like the pre-order system was down. So like all somebody hacked into dev tools and like <laughs> updated their, the credit card form or whatever. And then like, we're able to get past some like failure of the website, you know, like I totally did that. I think I got my panic play date by like nuking my browser cache. Like that's how I got into the queue faster than other people. Cause I just went through and I, wow. Like, like, cleared application i killed the application cache you know like oh this is good people should send these in i know we got a hard stop but the i would love the to, ones yeah. where you have to you hack the web a little bit to your liking i I'm, i think of ones where you know you have to go in and like remove the disabled attribute from a, a form because you filled it out correctly it's just some javascript's not working and you can't prick the can't submit the stupid form so you have to go in there and hack it yourself or like put your own country in the drop down list or something like that. I love those things. How do you hack the web or patch the web, as Dave would say, to your liking? Would that would be awesome. Love it. Send it in. All right. Well, it is a hard stop edition, Chris. So, and we're in, in that dangerous five minutes zone. So, uh, we should uh, uh, wrap it up. Uh, Thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcatcher choice. Be sure to start heart favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for six tweets a month. And join us in the Discord, patreon.com slash Shop Talk Show. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Shoptalkshow.com.